Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for being with each and every one of us. Thank you for being in our midst as we go through these trying times and as we remember the men who we've known so well and the impact that they've had on our lives, Lord. We just want to thank you for putting them in our lives. Let us always remember what they've done for us and let us continue in prayer for their families and the loved ones around them. It's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. All right. This month, we are talking about living a balanced life. And part of living a balanced life is being in community with other men. Dave and I recently, and you probably guys have noticed my figure has gotten more and more in shape, right? Joe saying no. It used to be like this, and now it's like this. All right. Part of living a balanced life, oddly enough, is exercise and the importance of exercise and the benefits of exercise. So Dave and I have been different gyms. Obviously, he's a third-degree black belt in jiu-jitsu, so he doesn't really need to work out very much, but I need to, and I was trying to find a really good gym. We found a gym that's over in the corner. You guys over in this room, you see that over there? It says Optimal Body Fitness. So Dave and I work out there almost three or four times a week. This is not a promotion, but it is. And I asked Ernesto to come up for just a couple of minutes and share a little bit about his story. Because the transformation that any of us can go through, not only in our spiritual walk, but also in our physical walk, starts somewhere. And some of us are living a life of sedentary, not doing much. Maybe we get up and we move, and our watch reminds us that you need to stand up and move. But exercise is important. Some of us exercise on a regular basis. Others of us don't. So this isn't a promotion for the gym, but this is an inspiration for you guys to just think, man, maybe after today I need to start doing some walks or some jogs or some push-ups. Dave and I did a push-up exercise the other day. It was three minutes of push-ups. And I remember when I was in the Army, man, I could do like 50 push-ups in a minute. I mean, it would just be like that. I couldn't do five push-ups in a minute. I'm there and I'm... I think Dave and I ended up doing 44 push-ups in three minutes or something like that. And I'm taking breaks, going on my knees, and I'm like, this, oh my gosh, I still remember when I could do all these push-ups. But Ernesto, it's nice to have you. This is your first time. I know that you typically are working out with all the guys over there, and you see all these trucks and cars kind of load into the parking lot, and you're probably like, what the heck is going on over there? So this is his first time to Ironman. He's the owner of the gym that's over there, and I wanted him to share a little bit about his testimony, his story, and then we're going to hand it back to me so I can introduce our speaker. So you got two minutes. Go ahead. Hey, guys. Thank you, David, for the invitation. And I think from as much as I can talk about the gym and all that, I think you guys have more to offer to me just by knowing a little bit about you guys for the last few minutes than me talking about the gym itself. But I'll tell you a little bit about my story. I started exercising about seven years ago. I was 355 pounds back then. And... I came from literally not be able to do a push-up like you were just talking about. Not even the girl version, not the nothing. Uh, I couldn't do nothing. Optimum Body Fitness is the only gym that I've ever known. I started as a member. Now I own the facility. And literally, I will preach to anybody, exercise is just a small part of your lifestyle. If you take it by the horns, it will change your life so many different ways. I have pictures that I want to send 
and at least pass out and see if you guys can take a look. The gym to me is one of the things that will literally change your life, not only in a physical way, but family life, work life, stress, everything you can ever imagine. It's changed my life 100%, and I will invite every single one of you guys to try it out, be part of it, engage it. Some people will do it to lose weight. Some people to do it to stay flexible. Some people will do it just to deal with stress and work and whatever your excuse might be. Mine was I wanted to be there for my daughter's wedding. She's 10 years old now. I had a doctor's appointment once and my doctor told me, you're going to die before she ever reaches the aisle and somebody else is going to walk her down the aisle. I literally took that decision and was like, I'm not doing that. I have to do something and here I am. Thank you guys for allowing me. Whoever wants to try it, more than welcome. It's right here. Try it out with David and Dave. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. Our teaching fellow this morning is Dave Ogden. Let's hear it for Dave Ogden. I don't really need any introduction, but I will tell you what this man has meant to me in my life. Not only is he helping me get into better shape, whenever we do these workouts of the day and it's team-based, he's always ahead of me and I'm always stretching to try to keep up with this man. And uh, so he's made me a better man in multiple ways of my life, as a husband, as a father, and obviously now you're helping me in the area of physical, so I appreciate you so much, Dave. You know, we would not have multiple teaching fellows up here if it wasn't for Dave. A couple years ago, Dave said, you know, why don't we raise up teaching fellows from each one of the tables to teach for 10 minutes? And part of me was like, no, how do I control that? How do I control the theology? And how do I control? And Dave's like, let God control it. But let's, and it has been such a unique character attribute of Ironman to be able to have each man come up from the table. Next week is Kurt. He's ready. He's ready. And so this month, the first responders own this month. And so, Sean, you here? He's not here today? Oh, he's on Zoom. Oh, Sean crushed it last week. And so Dave is our teaching fellow this week. So thank you for challenging Ironman to say, why don't we rise up the teaching fellows from the group? Because that has been super unique for us. So give it one more hand for Dave Ogden. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. And thank you, guys. Hey, guys, kind of before we get in, I'm actually going to do what I tell people as teaching never to do, is just switch just, um, gears just a little bit, just for about two minutes. So I may take a little extra two minutes of your time. But some of you may or may not know, I'm not going to go through my whole story today, but a big, huge part of my story is that we lost our son October 3rd of 2012. So because of that, God transitioned our life and we found purpose in our life. And the power and the purpose in our life is one of the things that we do is we facilitate a grief share program. So right now we're in the midst six weeks into a 13 week grief share program. And I only share that because as we're going around with COVID and everything uh, else that's going around, right here in Ironman of God, we have multiple people that have been affected with COVID. We have multiple people in our own Iron Men of God who have been affected uh, by COVID and by those deaths. And I understand the process of grief, and there isn't a process, an academic process of it. They say there's four or five stages of grief, but let me tell you, four or five stages could take four or five months, four or five days, or you can go through all of those stages in literally four or five minutes. So there's no program for grief. But I do know this. Whenever you're talking about your grief journey, one of the big things we always talk about is the why. And we've got some people in our program that I don't know that they'll ever have the answer why, right? Some of those folks that are in our program have had, their families have been murdered. Their people have been taken from them. And to ask the question why is such a difficult, and we have to realize that God is all powerful. God is sovereign. And there are some times that as we walk through that journey, we're not going to have that answer. The story of Job is a powerful one. And when I 
started returning to my faith, which was my story. The story of Job was instrumental because it was the first story that I remembered and I went back to and read it time and time again. And although I related to the story of Job, I didn't relate in many ways because Job was what righteous. He was a righteous man. Yet this still happened to a righteous man. So I'm not a Christian because I think I'm a good person. Not a Christian because I think God is going to benefit. It's not a quid pro quo for that per se. I'm a Christian because I know I need that balance in my life. I know that he is the creator. I know that if he is in charge, it means one thing. I'm not in charge. And when you look at the story of Job and the transition that he goes through and the lament that he goes through and his friends coming to him say, you must have done something wrong. No, I didn't. And at the end of Job, just like Ernesto just said, I want to read this to you. Job 42 is the last chapter. And in Job 42, uh, Job's confession and repentance. But listen to this for the entire chapter, guys. Job said in verse 5, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. That's a changed life. Job knew God. He heard of God. He knew he was all powerful. He knew these kind of things. But as he went through his transition, he saw God. He learned God in a whole new way. You know, it's often said, true learning is learning something you really already know, just in a whole different light. It's that aha moment. It's that light bulb that goes on. And that's what happened to Job. So guys, that was my couple minutes to talk about that. So I hope in my prayer, my hope is for everybody that goes through the grief and the struggling that we are feeling and experience today. And these are godly men, which is just amazing. But even though the godly men and godly women are dying and we know ultimately that those folks are going to heaven, we still have a humanly pain. We have a savior who cried in anguish. Let this cup pass from me. He cried when Lazarus died. I thank God that we have a Savior that gave an example to us of what balance is in our life. Guys, I'm holding this book here. So the next half, first half we did apologetics. The next half we're talking about a balanced life. So we're going to ask that everybody gets this book, if you haven't already, The Measure of a Man. The Measure of a Man by Gene Getz. And just what an amazing book. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. This really, and again, guys, this isn't a book that you pick up by yourself and read. This actually is a men's study, is a men's 20-week study. So I would encourage all of our small groups to get together, get this book, and on your own, start going through this study. But the measure of a man is 20 attributes of a godly man and 20 unique qualities of maturity. What are the qualifications? You know, traditionally when we go and look at the qualifications for a church leader, we look in 1 Timothy, right? We know that that just lays out the qualifications of a church leader. I bet I think sometimes as men we go, oh yeah, that's a qualification for an elder and for a deacon and for everything else. But think about this. Paul wrote what the qualifications, the highest qualifications for a man is to lead his church. Is there any reason that we should not emulate that? Here's where he set the bar. He set the bar as high as he can go, and that's what we should emulate. So when you look at the book, we talk about that. We look at our character, and we ask, how well does somebody really know me? Then I ask, how well does somebody really know myself? I'm blessed to have a great career. I get to wear a uniform and stars, and I get to get up in front, in front of people and speak. But how well do you really know me? That's really what matters. How well does my family know me? How well does God know me? He knows me ultimately. Um, in 1989, I made the sheriff's office SWAT team. Some of my guys here were serving on a team. It was before they were even on there. I was a boot, a new guy. Believe it or not, guys, I was a new guy at one time. And I'll never forget, we executed several search warrants one night. It was very traditional back in the day. We'd do five to ten search warrants in one night. 
And at the end of that night, we would get together and we would go hit the local bar and we can decompress. Anybody who's in the military, anybody that's anybody else, uh, has been in law enforcement, understands and knows what it's like for that high level adrenaline to hit you and decompress. So as we, uh, we go to a local bar and I'm the new guy, I'm the boot, nobody pays attention and nobody cares to me and I'm sitting here having a beer, having a glass, and two experienced guys who I just, I love these guys. You know, I'm looking at these guys like, wow, one's name was Tom and one's name was Donnie. Tom was a big power lifter. Threw a bunch of weights around, has a bunch of competitions. He was a door breaker, taught me everything I know about breaking doors. Donnie was a pretty boy. When I say pretty, he was a pretty man. <laughs> he was, he was beautiful. His nickname on the team, you weren't there yet, was Face from the A-Team. Everybody remember that? He was the pretty guy. Donnie had it all together. He was the fitness trainer at the gym. He had the girls looking after him. He had posters. He was on wet and wild commercials. This guy had it done. So as I'm sitting at the bar, these guys are sitting there ignoring me and they start talking about their life. And Donnie starts talking about his life and his divorce and his wife left him and his two-year-old child was not gonna see him anymore. And a daughter who was on the trail doing it, the wrong things. And I'm sitting there going, oh my Lord, this is just, just horrible. I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say. Truthfully, I think I was 20 years old at the time. I, don't, I didn't have a clue, I was just shell-shocked by what I was listening to. Two days later, Donnie left. And drove down to Sarasota. Stuck a gun and put it in his chest and killed himself. How well did I know Donnie? I didn't know him very well. Did I have the ability, the skill set, or the talent to intercede in his life? I didn't at the time, and I certainly do now. What does the Bible say about how we should live? And what are these qualifications of a godly man? Let me read to you from 1 Timothy 3. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with dignity and keeping his children submissive. For if someone not, does not know how to manage his own household, how he will he care for the church of God? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. What is he talking about? He's talking about our character, guys. Our true, real character. Since I took a little time, I'm going to skip over that section, David. So what is building character? For me, I came up with four attributes of that. Number one, be real, be in community, be brave, and be willing to serve. Be real. A good testimony is our character. You need to evaluate your character to be real and be willing to be unbalanced. We accept every day, and Ursta just came up here and talked about what it takes for our fitness level. The other day, we did a very simple exercise. We just did some bicep curls, and then we stood on one leg. And what happened? I became unbalanced. Why do I become unbalanced? I become unbalanced to build my core strength. And guys, our overall wellness is about our mental, our physical, and our spiritual health. All three of those components. You don't pay attention to one of those components, you're destined for failure. Everybody right now has a phone on their side. I promise you everybody in here knows how much your phone is charged without looking at it. If you forgot to charge it, you're probably panicking and go, hurry up, hurry up. <laughs> 
get through, get through your message. But you know all day where your phone charge level is. Do we know where our spiritual charge level is? Are we replenishing our stuff mentally, physically, and spiritually? Listen, guys, we've got to be willing to change. Bible says we are dead in our trespasses. Dead. That means what? Not alive. We're dead. We repeat what we don't repair. And comfort, just like core body training, doesn't bring about change. Understand this, that change is the key to building a good life and mastering changes is key to building a great legacy. And I know we lost two men this week who left great legacies. Think about that. We need to eliminate our biases. Some of you know I teach memory distortion and schemas in the brain. How our brains act. And sometimes, as Christians, we can convince ourselves that we can do that of anything, even our wrongful sin. And sometimes we do this not knowing, and sometimes we just don't have any clue. Memory distortions are extremely important in our life and understanding and valuing that. Almost two years ago, I remember getting a text from my daughter. So my granddaughter was going to school, the little one, for the first time, and she gets a text from the teacher. But let me explain what happened to my granddaughter that year. She had two significant things happen that year to her. One of those is she went to the hospital because she had some labored breathing as she was working out and, and running and playing and doing all those kind of things. So she went to the hospital, which for a five-year-old is pretty traumatic, right? And they diagnosed her with mild case of asthma. So now she has a breathing um, inhaler that she takes every once in a while. Not a big deal, but it happened. I'm sure it was monumental in her life, right? It was a big thing in her life. Later on in the summer, my daughter's a great mother, and she takes her to Disney and all these kind of things, so they take her to a petting zoo. They take her to a petting zoo, and she pets some of the animals, and lo and behold, she gets salmonella poisoning, and she gets you know something on her lip. Another trip to the hospital, right? Not really that big of a deal. Happens to kids all the time, but to her, it's a big deal. So you go to school for the first time, and a teacher has you to write and draw what happened to you over the summer. What did you do over the summer? And here's a picture. You can't see it right now, but I'll pass it around of a little animal. I think it's a sheep. I'm not going, I don't know why it has devil horns on it. <laughs> and my granddaughter, and it says two years, but I think it means five years, typical kindergarten, in the hospital on the side. And she's got her hand out. And it says this, the teacher writes, making timelines. Hannah said she put her finger in a goat's butt and now she has asthma. I don't have to make stories up. <laughs> How many times have we stuck our finger in a goat's butt? No, that's not why. That's why. You know, it's a funny story, but how many times do we do that in our lives as well? No doubt about it. Guys, the belt of truth in Ephesians 6.10 is the first armor of God. That's important. If we aren't willing to find the truth in our own lives and our own pain, we're not going to be able to move forward. Think about this. Paul's past didn't disqualify him for being one of the greatest evangelists that we know. And it should have, if you think in worldly terms. But <laughs> our Lord picked Paul to write most of these letters. I don't know about you, but for me, the doctrine of grace isn't, it wasn't easy to handle. Being a first responder and being in law enforcement for 35 years, I'm pretty black and white. You either did the crime or you didn't. You either deserve to go to jail or you don't. There's not much grace that comes from my upbringing. This is not part of our humanity, but we need to understand that. So what do we need to do? Guys, here's a couple suggestions I have. If you haven't already, if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, 
you're missing the mark. And if you don't know how to get your spiritual gifts, lots of different ways you can do it. There's DISC profiles, there's Briggs-Myers assessment, which is more of a standard assessment. There's a uniquelyyou.org place, but you can just Google some spiritual profiles as well. Here's the real challenge. Many Christians are asking this question, what is my spiritual gift? When in reality, they need to be asking, what is a spiritual gift? They do not understand the relationship of spiritual gifts. That is, they don't understand how a spiritual gift relates to their life, how it relates to the will of God in their life, and how it relates to the lives of those people around them, how it relates to your church, and how it relates to the body of Christ as a whole. Guys, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for over 35, 36 years. I know my strengths. I've competed in the United States, I've competed in Brazil, competed all over the world. But when I would go into competition, I would work on my weaknesses. I would identify what those weaknesses are. And what a DISC profile will do is it will start off like any good communicator and tell you what your great points are. And then it'll tell you what your challenges are, right? So I know, for me, I know that administration, teaching and administration, and also evangelism, depending on what, what three of those you look at, are my big strengths. And that's really cool. It sounds good. Pat yourself on the back. But read down to the bottom of the profile. And it says, here's what you need to be worried about. You need to be worried about your ego. You need to be worried about not including people in your group. You need to be cautious about what you could say and really think about that. So those are the things that I know that I need to work on, that I need to be aware of, that I need to train. How can I use these gifts? So here, I'm going to share this with you guys, my pitfalls. Be careful to involve other people. Don't try to do it all yourself. Work on many people being accountable. Do not overly be overly protective of your flock. And believe it or not, I really am. I feel like we're all of one big flock. We are. Because of these potential weak areas, other people may think that it's your job to do all the work. They rely on you heavenly. You may be expected to be available at all times. Know all the answers and be at every function. Learn when to say no. And be aware of Satan's attack on your gift. He will cause discouragement when the load gets heavy. And pride because your sheep look up to you. You may develop family problems because of too little time and attention. And you may become selfish when the sheep feed in other pastures. I'm like, wow, what a gut punch. But if I'm not willing to unbalance myself and take a critical look at the areas I need to work on and improve on, guys, I can't improve. I can't lose 150 pounds. I can't become the man that I want to be. I can't become the leader of my home, the spiritual leader of my home and my family. So that's the first thing that we can do. The second thing that we can do is we can go to our family and we can give them honest permission to tell us the truth. And this isn't easy. Go to our wives, go to our kids, go to our parents. Go to loved ones around me. What is it that's difficult? What is it that's challenging? What do I not do? The writer in a book tells a great story, and he's a pastor. And he was writing a sermon one day, and he's sitting down with his daughter on his couch. And he's reading the sermon to his little daughter. And his daughter begins to cry. And he's like, what's the matter? What's wrong? She's like, well, I don't want to say. Well, what's wrong, honey? And the entire sermon was about listening. She says, well, you know, when I talk to you, you don't really hear me. So a pastor's preparing a message to do on Sunday and his daughter's telling him the truth. Guys, if we don't know the truth in our own life, we can't fix what's wrong. If we can't fix what's wrong, we can't move forward. So guys, I'm going to wrap it up there. The rest of it, you guys will get through it by ourselves. But thank you very much. I appreciate it. We prepared four questions that Ryan sent out last night and we'll go with that. So thank you guys again.
For Dave, for one second, there is one question on here that says, what are your top three spiritual gifts and do you use them to their full potential? What if the guys don't know what those are? Very good. If you don't know what it is, you can Google a bunch of sites. Uniquelyyou.org is one decent site. That is one that I use. Look up spiritual disc profile because this comes from Briggs Meyer. Just about all of your good profiles are going to come from Briggs Meyer. I have in the last four months taken a Briggs Meyer. I've taken a disc profile as well and taken a Uniquely as well as that so that I can go and kind of compare to two or three. So everything is probably available and a lot of your local churches will have some of those profiles available for you as well. San Filippo, PhD, Fanontology. If you've got a great tool, Dave, send it to Ryan and then the next email blast will actually embed that in our email distribution. So, all right, table captains, the floor is yours.